as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich um, putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So Lord, we just pray for Mark as he comes and speaks to us now. Pray that your spirit would inspire him and uh, inspire the words that he has to say. Pray that we would hear those and uh, would be responding to them. And we pray that this would be a chance for us to say, Lord, reign in me, rule over me, be sovereign in my life, in all areas of my life, but particularly in the way that I handle and, and use my money. So I pray, Lord, that you would just be speaking to us today. Pray that you would bless us as we hear from Mark now. In your name. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Bernice. Um, thank you for um, uh, introducing that. Thank you for uh, reading it uh, for us. Uh, and I don't know about anybody else, but it fills me with a little bit of trepidation today to be speaking on money. I think it's something which all of us um, in maturity can find hard to talk about. Um, and and I, do, I do ask that as we as we go through today, we would all be just thinking about how God is moving in us and how God is moving in, in our hearts. Um, the passage today is, is, here, in, um, is here in Luke. Um, and um, those of you who uh, have been following our series would know we suddenly jumped ahead to, to chapter 21. And it's only a very brief passage. Um, so I took the liberty of extending it. <laughs> uh, only a little bit, though. Um, because today's passage sits in the sweep of Luke. And I think to understand it a little bit, we just need to drop back that little bit to uh, chapter 19. So, uh, so I popped up here the verses uh, from, um, from the end of chapter 19, which is kind of the, the bit which leads in to the discourse which, um, which Benice has just read to us a moment ago. So Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace? So we've got Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the holy city, the holiest of places, the place where as a child in Galilee, him and the other disciples would have dreamt of, dreamt of and thought of in such majesty. And Jesus is coming here into Jerusalem and he's weeping over it. He's come on a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem. And he talks about the days when Jerusalem will be driven down because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. And I look at that as Jesus is coming into the temple. And I, I look at it as Jesus empowering his people. He's coming to Jerusalem to ultimately to go to his death and resurrection in order to set us free and make us right with God. And his, his, his purpose is about empowering and giving peace. And Jesus goes into the temple as he arrives in Jerusalem. And the first thing we read about in Luke is about when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem, coming into the temple, the place where God was meant to be meeting with his people and turning it on its head. 
he comes and he comes and he confronts this financial idolatry that you see here. This place where people were abusing the poor. They were making people pay to be able to come into God's holy place. And that is the first place where we see Jesus turning the temple on its head. He then goes to turn it on its head even more. He talks about pride and arrogance of the religious leaders. He goes on to talk about marriage and relationships. And in many ways, I would suggest to you that he, he comes and turns it on its head on the three things which are big challenges in our lives as Christians. Pride, money and relationships. And that then leads us to today's passage in chapter 19. And we're talking about money today. And did you know that there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible referring to money? Now you can do a quick Google on it and you, and you can find a good number of them. And if we use that as a guide to teach on, to, as to what we teach on in the church, we would be talking about money at least once a month. Now I'm not sure that we actually talk about money that often uh, in Alton. And perhaps that's something we need to try and pick up both in our personal lives and, and in the church life. But that question around how Jesus is Lord of our money. As we move into chapter 21, we see an account of giving that is really, really highly public. Um, we as probably middle class Christians, most of us, tend to like to have a little bit of secrecy and privacy around money. Perhaps we fear being judged by others. Perhaps we fear being considered to be bragging or arrogant. Whatever it is, I think there's this inherent idea of secrecy and privacy around money. Yet here in chapter 21, we see something which is really, really public. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Can you imagine that? The way it's working. I've got myself a little illustration here for you. Can you imagine this? You've got the rich person coming in. They're all putting in coins and they pour all their money into that treasury. I can see people wincing on there as it zooms through the microphone. All that noise, all the adulation, all the pride of giving all that money into the temple treasury. And then in the queue, in the silence, comes the widow and she drops just one or two coins into the, into the bucket. And Jesus says, whilst all of those people put in tons of money, they made all the noise, they stood out. It is this widow who who gave her gifts out, uh, who gave out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Now, this poor widow shouldn't actually even be there. It was responsibility of the temple to care for poor widows. And we see in the previous verses in Luke, uh, Luke telling us that the, the chief priests and the leaders of the temple were actually abusing the widows and not giving them what they should be getting. But here was this poor widow voluntarily coming and giving to God's work with her ripped clothes, her hunger, her hunger. And which person carries the honour? Jesus says, it's this poor widow. I tell you the truth, this widow has put in more than all the other gifts. Because her giving represents a really sacrificial gift. She has chosen to give all that she has to God. 
She's not given out of compulsion. She's given voluntarily. And Jesus is commending her heart. I mean, what does it say about your heart if you have virtually nothing, but you choose to give that to God's purposes? Any of us. She's sold out to God. And this is what Jesus is commending her for. Now, it would be very easy to, to leave this passage here and you know, just, just lay, that, um, lay that challenge down. But I think we also need to uh, think a little bit more about how we approach money. I mean, we could take from this passage that Jesus calls us all to be poor. It's known as asceticism or citizen. I can never know how to pronounce it. Someone wants to tell me later. They can. <laughs> but um, Jesus would like us all to be really poor, where to be godly, we must deprive ourselves a little bit like this widow is. But I think that would be denying the fact that the Bible actually has plenty of rich people who were declared righteous. In the Old Testament, we see people such as Abraham or the monarchies who were incredibly rich, but were declared righteous, or at least for a period of time. And in the New Testament, we, Testament, we see rich people as well, don't we? we? We see people such as Lydia, the trader of highly valuable purple cloth, supporting the church and in, enabling the early church. We see Joseph of Arimea, who provided a tomb for Jesus' body out of his family's wealth. And even in Jesus's life, we see examples of good material benefits at times, don't we? Things like wedding parties or celebrations. And so as I look at this passage, I do note that whilst Jesus is commending the poor widow, he doesn't actually condemn the rich. but He's commending the heart of the poor widow. And so I want to highlight here that perhaps actually money and faith are not incompatible. I think sometimes in the uh, sort of uh, the, the Christian world of the UK, we can start to go down the having to get every single penny away route. And I think that the Bible perhaps teaches something more nuanced um, than that. And I'd suggest that there's probably four combinations of people in Scripture. We see the rich and righteous, who I talked about a minute ago, people like Abraham, the monarchs, etc. But we see the rich and unrighteous, someone like Laban in the Old Testament, who was duplicitous. Um, we see the rich young ruler who Jesus engages with. And a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and then you'll be able to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because his heart and his focus was on those possessions. It wasn't the possessions in their own right. We see Judas himself who traded Jesus for silver. So we see rich and unrighteous. We also see poor and righteous. So we see people like Ruth and Naomi. Uh, the children have looked at Ruth today, or some of the things which uh, Penny sent out include Ruth. And Ruth was someone who was gleaning her food. She's like in our modern day, someone who was going through our rubbish bins looking for food. And she is declared um, as righteous. We see Jesus himself, who was clearly very poor um, and, and, and lived off, um, lived off uh, giving to him. And Paul. In the New Testament, we see someone who was poor and righteous. But we also see poor and unrighteous. You can go to Proverbs 6, where, um, uh, where we talk about the sluggard. Um, or you can go to 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3, where Paul says, um, 
if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, we saw we see both we see poor and unrighteous in the Bible as well. So for us to take from today's passage an idea of um, what is good as being poor and righteous, I think we'd be missing some of the breadth of scripture on giving. And I think the conclusion for me there on 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 scripture and, and wealth is that there isn't any inherent connection between godliness wealth and poverty yet at the same time i would say there is also a trend because there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that being rich is makes it difficult to set our hearts on god and following god is difficult when we're rich money is seductive it is idolatrous or can be and the bible is full of warnings and examples of where this is this is the case for example 1 timothy uh, chapter 6 the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil there's a rich young ruler which i mentioned before jesus talks about the camel and the eye of a needle it's easier for a camel to go from the eye of, through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god We've got Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five. I remember preaching on that a, a couple of years ago, um, where where they um, they were judged, um, incredibly judged um, for their uh, duplicitous and their hanging on to wealth and their idling of wealth. Um, and you look back in in Matthew where Jesus says, "No person can serve two masters." So I think the question and the challenge. At the heart of all of this is how do we steward the money and resources that God has blessed us with? Some of us are, are probably in a, in, a, in a basket of where we are actually quite well off. We could actually be called rich in the scheme of things around the world. And there's other people in our church who are probably in a far more difficult uh, financial position. And I think it's important to note that we're not being called to this life of poverty. Actually, what happens in Acts um, in the early church is when people are, are poor and going without food, the disciples don't say, oh, let all of us become poor so we can be poor together. No, they don't. They say, let's share all of our possessions so that no one goes without. And I think that's perhaps a, an important thing for us as we consider both the poor within our church and also the poor uh, within our community. So what I would ask for us to be doing today on the back of this passage in Luke is to be examining ourselves and challenging ourselves on the question of what do we need? What, what is an appropriate gospel fueled standard of living? Because the standard of living that we choose dictates the surplus and money that we have available to give. And a couple of examples from people I know of or have met in my life. Um, one of them is a pastor of one of the churches I attended. And he set himself the goal of being the biggest giver in his church. This wasn't because he was paid well and therefore had lots to spare, but instead because he wanted to avoid the seduction and idolatry of money. And him and his wife made a commitment that in their church, they would be the biggest, most generous givers into that, into that gospel work. That's, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? And then I know of another pastor 
who, when he was first married and he had a relatively meagre income, him and his wife decided to set themselves a standard of living based around that income. They tithed that income and lived off the remaining income. And they then challenged themselves to increase the percentage of their tithe, their regular giving, as their income increased, rather than increasing their standard of living. I'll say that again. So rather than uh, increasing the standard of their living, they increased the percentage of their tithe as their income increased. And as a result, their giving reached over 30% of their income on a regular basis. And I read of that and I think, well, that, that, is, that is a real challenge to me. It's a real challenge in my life. And I think it comes back to this question of what is the standard of living that we choose, which dictates the surplus of money um, we have to give. So to kind of wrap up some of this, what is an appropriate gospel fueled standard of living? Well, first noting that wealth can be an inherent good. And as Christians, we should actually look to earn and gain that wealth, but in order that we can use that wealth for kingdom purposes. Recognizing that our income is actually a gift from God, whether it's our ability to earn that income or not, but it's still a gift from God. And that leads us to share it and use it for his kingdom. And I think we need to recognize that wealth is seductive. And the biggest empowerment, the biggest release from that is actually to be generous givers. And if we are to be generous givers, then we need to commit to this radical simplicity in our lives that actually enables us to have a surplus to give from. And someone challenged me that if we are living at the same standard as others in society on our same income, are we really being sacrificial in our giving? Perhaps we need to do a lifestyle order. So how can we be generous over and beyond a tithe, giving so that nobody goes without? At the beginning, I quoted the, the verse from Proverbs. And my prayer for all of us is that we would have neither riches nor poverty. And I pray that God's kingdom would be embedded in us so much and so wholeheartedly that we would be wanting to give what he gives us into his kingdom. When Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. And I think as we look at this passage on giving and we, give, we look at a passage on the widow there, what brings us peace is to give back to God the gifts which he's given us and to be generous givers and to be releasing ourselves from the potential seduction of money. So today, there is an opportunity for us to look at our giving again. And this today is about asking God uh, to bring our finances under his lordship. And I know some of you may have come today ready to give. You may have already filled in a pledge card or engaged with the online monkey. I want to thank you for that. Others may want to about pray about it in the next few minutes as Dom and Sarah lead us. And I would encourage you after that to go or during that to go online and use the survey monkey link. And others may need to go away and pray about it, perhaps talk with their spouses, uh, talk with others and see how God is leading you. And the online pledge card will stay open for the next week. We'll pick it up next Sunday as well to give people that opportunity. But I would ask that no one gives out of compulsion. 
but instead everyone seeks the Lord's face on it um, and listens to his leading. 